And it uh, looks like it is. We are back. We're going to discuss the Trivium tonight, Trivium Refresher. And uh, I think it's pretty well needed right now. Apparently, people are expecting to do a lot more pooing in the, in the coming weeks and months than normal. And uh, need far more toilet paper and whatnot than they normally would. And uh, lots of panic going on. Um, seeing it everywhere. Of course, Southern California is a madhouse. Um, kind of by default. But, uh, you know, we're... Uh, it's Things are getting interesting. And, and I'm more... I'm more paying attention to... The people in the nut house than uh, the virus itself because it'll be the people in the panic who cause the most stuff or the most problems of course uh, Dr. Hans Adder and I several years ago did uh, back in 2015 in fact did our show on the war of the worlds and uh, subtitle was Prototype of Panic and how they had used the radio systems in the 1930s to create, you know, national uh, panic and whatnot. <clears throat> and now it's a global panic. And so, uh, you know, we see uh, people going crazy and, and buying like a five-year supply of toilet paper and whatnot. Who knows why? I don't know what they're going to do with all that toilet paper are, do you are, do you have like five years supply of toilet paper there nathan <laughs> no in fact uh we didn't change our buying habits at all and uh with everybody going out there and, and buying things it's uh now that we might need it here in the next couple of weeks <laughs> right well you know it's it's like I, and i made a joke online the other day uh the two most important things to buy are is a gun and ammunition the rest you can take from your unarmed liberal neighbors you know <laughs> so uh you know of course that upset the liberals you know because they're you know they're going to have faith in humanity that nothing is you know it, that that you know they're just going to hug the person and and you know say hey you know let me sit down and navel gaze with you and you know, everything will be all right. So that way they won't get their stuff taken or whatever, you know, their food and whatnot. But uh, to me, it's like meat, sardines, salami, beef jerky, stuff like that. Um, other than being able to pre protect yourself and your family or what's most needed. I mean, you can wash your hands. Um, you know, I don't know what people are planning on doing with so much toilet paper. I find that very interesting. And the, the most interesting thing about that is, um, you know, what did people use before toilet paper was invented? And, you know, so it's like, okay, well, you know, my son used cloth diapers and you just kind of took the, after it went number two, you put it in the toilet and dumped it out and flushed it and then you threw the thing you know you rinsed them out threw them in the wash and you know yep. so why I, I don't get you know it's like maybe maybe all the people out there buying toilet paper the people who used or were raised on disposable diapers i'm not sure <laughs> you know so uh they don't get it's like oh wait yeah you could just use like a rag you know and or a yeah, bidet I, I or, or something like that a bidet would be even better right that, that would be nice I, I watched some videos, um, TrueStream Media had something up, and I, I watched a video, and 
they had something where people were like running with carts to Costco and they would get to the toilet paper section and they were stacking their cart with exclusively with toilet paper taller than a person. And everybody was, it was just ridiculous. Why? I, I don't even understand it. So, so, okay. So you get like those Charmin bulk packs and that's like yeah. enough. That's enough. One pack for, would have been enough for, for the whole for family, family for like nine, 10 months. Yeah. And they're stacking it like higher than themselves. Each person. It's just total panic. I don't understand. Well, this seems like a, a good time for a trivium refresher. It is a perfect time. Right. So since since the population is in a panic and of course it's driven by the media. Mm-hmm. And, well, it's uh, a proof by assertion fallacy, also known as Hitler's big lie. It's a proof by assertion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, the Bay Area is locked down now. They're on they're on quarantine. What What's funny to me about this is. The Bay Area is the most disease infected and spreading disease spreading region in the whole country always has been at least for the last probably 40 50 years but now they're putting it on lockdown i mean like well know. that's probably to prevent the disease from coming out <laughs> <laughs> from coming out of the bay area or or yeah 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 well i mean if you think about it like one of the biggest achievements in the world was clean water system and sanitation. Right. And that's what really got rid of most diseases in the world. Well, and but San, San Francisco doesn't have sanitation. Right. Exactly. When everybody's just pooping in the lawns. It's called San Francisco now, you know, and it's there's shit in the streets everywhere. So, you know, you have poop maps so you know what streets to avoid and stuff. And there's like. What, for every 20 miles you walk in San Francisco, there's 303 poop patties? Wow. You know, so that's 15 piles for every mile you walk. So, okay, so, like, if I think of the distance I walked when I was in high school from home to high school, it was one mile. So you would have 15 piles of human feces in that distance. But, you know, it's all... before coronavirus, it was the most disease-infected area. And then L.A. has got uh, the bubonic plague, and so does San Francisco. These, you know, they, they were – I mean, how come these cities weren't locked down already? You know, so, um, you know, it's like you got the gay bathhouses and all this stuff spreading all sorts of diseases for, you know, decades. And then the, the plague and the, and the whatnot, but, you know uh, – Well, this is where good questioning comes in. You know, if you can start asking questions like, uh, I don't just question the media narrative. I mean, if the media has become propaganda and has been for quite some time, but what media was meant to be, you know, the freedom of the press and, and journalism, it was something where you would expose people. You would go in and, and ask hard questions. You would dig deeper and try to find the truth and not just promote a narrative. So the media on a worldwide scale is promoting a unified narrative without any questions. Correct. No independent voices. It's it's just a, a one-dimensional, monological voice, all saying the same thing, all asserting the same thing. The proof by assertion, fallacy, or the Hitler's big lie. So there's an old quote that's 
stated to be from um, William Randolph Hearst, and it's uh, journalism is printing what someone else does not want printed. Everything else is public relations. Mm. So, and it's probably falsely attributed to him. My footnote for that quote says, uh, this quote apparently falsely attributed to George Orwell, Eric Blair, but in the original form, it appears to be from William Randolph Hearst, Lord Northcliffe, or Alfred Harmsworth. The original states, news is something somebody doesn't want printed. All else is advertising. So what are they advertising? What are they PRing? And so, you know, and then I hear today, oh, you know, the the leftist media, the fake news there. Oh, this woman just had to do good for society, and she was one of the first people in line to volunteer for the new coronavirus vaccine. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, because, yeah, vaccines are so safe. You know, and then you get Bill Gates who's been talking about quelling the population with vaccines for years since his TED Talk. And it's like, huh, yeah, forced vaccinations. Oh, I get it. Yeah, you know. And then you and go to like – Hard, hard hit too. Yeah, well, you go, to, you go to Catalina Island and, and out off of L.A. And uh, they've got a thing there where all of the bison were vaccinated to quell the bison population on the islands and then uh this year they said well you know we're gonna have to uh vaccinate the deer population because there's too many deer because you know the liberals got rid of all the hunters and now there's an over you know overpopulation of deer so now they're worried about the deer and it's like well why don't you just bring the hunters back and stop harassing the hunters and then they'll use the deer to feed people but you know they came up with a you know, atypical liberal solution, which was to vaccinate the deer for, you know, fertility. And then that will get rid of the extra deer and pollute the meat and blah, blah, blah. So makes so much sense, you know. But yeah, you know, apparently, even though even though Bill Gates talks about it, we don't have the technology to do that in people, even though we've been doing it to animals for years. Yeah. So, so you didn't stock up on like, you know, 752 rolls of toilet paper? Nope. I haven't stocked up on anything. I guess people are going to wrap the toilet paper around themselves to like <laughs> zombify themselves. Well, well, either that or to prevent zombie <laughs> attack. Well, you know, for those who don't get the joke, like all these zombie movies, the stupid people are the zombies. And that's kind of the inside joke once you get it. Yeah. They're making fun of dumb people. So um, we're here today to help you not be one of the zombies. That's essentially what the, the goal is today. So uh, anyway, who bought anybody in the chat that bought 50 packs of toilet paper? Now they're not going to admit it, you know. <laughs> Unless you're selling it because you're a businessman. Right. Yeah. And then you just stand out in front of the grocery store and charge a hundred dollars for a 12 pack of toilet paper, you know, <laughs> that would you do be, what you can do. that would be kind of funny. I'm sure there's plenty of those people, but I'm, I'm wondering what they're going to do with all of that poop paper. I would love to hear from somebody in the audience who thinks that they're suddenly going to poop significantly more for the next foreseeable future. <laughs> 
Uh, nothing. 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 Yeah. Well, this is probably the wrong audience to find uh, troglodytes, you know. So. Should hope so. Should hope so. So uh, where do we want to begin? Oh, thank you, Mr. Winters. $25 donation there. He says, sorry, been scarce. COVID hitting close to home a little these days. Wife been working two weeks straight, at least all from home now. Yeah, well, that's kind of the thing. Everybody working from home, it's the it's the brave new world, folks. It's uh, Huxley's final revolution. Now they're going to quell the population. So anyway, where do we want to begin? And thank you for the donation. Please uh, support the show. You can uh, post up your super chats. Go to logosmedia.com or uh, use the uh, Patreon donation thing and I'm sure uh, Nathan would appreciate any support as well for his work. So thank you all for your love and support. So, uh, all right, let's let's get serious here. Trivium. Now we're 12 minutes in. We haven't even mentioned it. <laughs> hardly mentioned it, right? Okay. So, uh, what, why, how? What, why, how? Who, who, what, where, when, why, and how? So there's the trivium, folks. You learned it in third grade. That's it for the night. Have a good night. See you next week. Uh, So who, what, where, when, why, and how. Who, what, where, when is your general grammar. Y'all, most most of you should know this by now. Here, let me put this in a separate window. We're just going to go through this. Um, And so you've got your grammar, which is your who, what, where, and when of a subject. And there's general grammar, and there's special grammar. So special grammar... It properly relates to words, uh, to other words, words to other words within a specified language, English, Russian, Latin, etc. So that's the putting together of sentences properly, etc. General grammar is quite a bit different, and most people don't realize that there is special grammar and general grammar. So general grammar is what we would generally refer to as doing research, and it relates to uh, words to objective reality in any language and applies to all subjects as the first set of building blocks to integrated or fully mindful objective knowledge, a body of knowledge which has been gathered and arranged under the rules of general grammar can now be subjected to logic Oops, I didn't mean to do that, sorry. Or full understanding, which empathetically is a separate intellectual procedure. And so uh, when you are asking, when you start off with any subject, and you can jump in at any time, Nathan, when you start off with any subject, you always start off with who, what, where, and when. And that's just the basic starting position of any topic and you you know first you probably have that intuitive feeling in your head saying hey have i asked who what where and when before i presume to know this information and if i haven't asked that let me go gather that information before i say something that's false or erroneous and there are a couple of axioms within the trivium the first axiom is that reality is real. And the second is that there are no contradictions in nature. 
a, contra- a contradiction is always, without exception, a lie or an error. You want to jump in there? Yeah, um, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit and talk about how you can use it. Uh, use these questions to actually work through issues in your own life. So it's not just something where you're doing research and trying to um, research the world. You can also use it to get to know yourself, to understand yourself, to get to know your partner, to um, you can kind of take it from the macrocosm and bring it down into the microcosm. And you can even do so and change your own thinking and, and purify your own thinking. So for example, in a session, I would say, well, what are you feeling right now? And then they would tell me, well, I'm feeling afraid or I was feeling angry or whatever it might be. And I, then I could say, well, who is, who's there with you? What, what happened? Um, where did this happen? When did this happen? Right. And so we're going to do the general grammar questions to understand the situation so that we can then dive deeper into things through dialectic. And there's really no subject matter that you cannot apply this to. Right. You know, and there may be depths that a particular circumstance doesn't need to go into. Let's say if you're an auto mechanic, just to use a, an old fa- fallback example, I seem to always go to. If you're an auto mechanic and you're changing out spark plugs, you know, it might say, what, where are the spark, pl- what are, you know, what needs to be replaced? Where are they? When do I need to replace them? That kind of thing. But you probably, for the most part, unless you're teaching an automotive class, don't need to know who invented spark plugs, when were they invented, where were they invented, that kind of stuff. So there's levels that you can go down into, that you can drill down into a subject matter as you need to, and you can back out or go further down into any particular uh, subject on a need-be basis. Pass it over to you. Okay. (laughs) That, that is true um, also with uh, when we're looking at an issue, um, when we're you know just looking at our own thinking. Uh, you can go different layers. You, sometimes you can uh, – well, how did how do I do this? Sometimes you're just looking at the feeling. Sometimes you're going back to childhood. You don't always have to go back to childhood. You can just deal with it right now. You can just deal with your thinking right now and, and why you're think, what you're thinking and why you're thinking it rather than just going back to childhood or, or even going deeper into um, the layers of thinking. So you don't always have to do that. So we already have the trolls showing up forever conscious research channel. Those Talmud dollars are really paying off. It seems we've already exposed that all of the neo-Nazi lies spread about the Talmud are false. And you have to have someone who's, who doesn't have the capacity to realize that they can read the Talmud online and verify things. So, uh, you know, they, they spread Talmud dollars when we, we just did 24 shows exposing that that was a fraud and that that was fake. So try, try to use a little critical thinking. This show, this episode is about critical thinking. So, uh, today we have our first example of someone who is not using it. Thank you so much, Forever Conscious Research Channel. 
I recommend people not subscribe to that channel. So uh, anyway, moving on, uh, that person is going to get a timeout for stupidity. So thank you so much. I just want to know where all my Telma dollars are. I haven't seen that. I haven't I seen any that. either, you know, and it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like we, we just exposed in depth how all of the stuff that is claimed about the Jewish Talmud and the Old Testament, which most people have in their freaking living rooms, uh, isn't there. But when you go into the Quran, the Hadith, Tisfir, the Sunnah, the, the uh, Sharia laws, all of what they claim against Judaism is easily found in the Islamic text, but you will never hear any of these morons discuss or expose Islam. And anybody who does gets attacked for being Jewish. Did, did you know that I'm actually a Danish, Jewish, FBI agent, uh, you know, and it's like, yeah, Jan is Scandinavian, duh. It's like Viking. It's not like you know, whatever these, you know, and, and they'll even try to edit that statement out to make me say something I didn't say. So I don't even want to embellish it, but it's just, it's dumb anyway. So, yeah. So, you know, and, and as far as research would go before you blurt out, you know, becoming a, a perfect example, uh, like forever conscious research channel, who's never actually done any research, you would want to verify things like the fake uh, Talmud quotes that uh, I've exposed and how, and we, and we can even discuss that during this, this episode, but how would you go in and verify those actual quotes? So, you know, the evil Talmud that doesn't actually say any of these things, you know, you can, you can go in here and it's like, uh, Gentiles prefers sex with cows, you know, so what you would do for any smart person is they would do research and rather than taking these fake quotes at face value, they would go to the Talmud and they would fact check the quotes and then they could see in the Talmud itself that these, you know, what they'll do is they'll find one line out of a whole 10 page discussion and they'll take that one line out of context and then say, see, it's proved. But meanwhile, you can readily find all of this stuff in Islamic text. So, um, you you know, you have to go down and do the grammar, fact check what you think before you send it downstream onto other people, you know, before you send false information or lies uh, downstream is what I'm trying to get at. I do that all the time with memes. Like if I see a quote and I really like the quote and it's like, hmm, was that really said? Well, and was it really said by this person? <laughs> I, I just read that quote a little bit ago. And uh, so, okay, so this is from my Spies and Academic Clothing article. Journalism is printing what someone else does not want printed. Everything else is public relations. So I originally went to fact check that quote and then I put it in the the footnotes here, uh, you know, what I discovered, uh, the quote is apparently falsely attributed to George Orwell, Eric Blair, but in its original form appears to be from William Randolph Hearst, Lord Northcliffe, or Alfred Armsworth. The original states, and then I put the original quote there. But that's all in the footnote there, but I put that there because when I went to go fact check that quote, George Orwell, who was a student of Aldous Huxley, drink, 
uh, he didn't actually say that. Right. Why is it why is it important to uh, fact check things like quotes? Well, to verify one who actually said it, where it actually came from, when it was said, and why it was said, because you when you're careful with information, you don't want to send false information downstream like Mr. Example spreading the Talmud money, you know, Jewish money, ha, ha, ha. You know, so what you want to do is verify things so that you know what is true. You know, to me, as a Christian, um, Satan is the father of all lies. And so when you repeat something that is false, you become that facilitator. And so, you know, with, you know, God cannot lie. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Satan is the father of all lies. So do you want to follow truth or do you want to follow lies? And so you can become the facilitator of truth and heading off or exposing the false information or not repeating it at minimum and getting down so that you, in your own mind, you have that true information rather than, you know, facilitating and regurgitating dumb lies, you know. And for those like, and I just showed the the Talmud document on screen, I've showed this a number of times, but I went through... 70 of the Talmud quotes, and out of 70, one was correct. And, you know, for people who want, they can pause on screen and go through all these, but one out of 70 was correct. And that was about the destruction of uh, Christian uh, 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 texts. And, you know, of course, we say the same thing about Jewish texts. The Muslims say the same thing about Christian and Jewish texts, blah, 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 blah. So, but one out of 70 is a 1.6% accuracy rating. So you people who regurgitate that dumb stuff, that is the accuracy level that you're repeating is 1.6% accuracy. So... You know, that means you're 98.4% full of crap. (laughs) What does that do to a conclusion and also to the logic? Well, if you start with false premises, you're going, if you start with a false grammar, who, what, where, when, you're going to come to a false why, and then you're going to repeat a false how, who, what, where, when, why, and how. So, if your initial premises are all based on false assumptions, you cannot get to a honest, truthful conclusion, and you cannot relay an honest, truthful conclusion. You cannot, you know, in the how, which is the rhetoric aspect of the trivium, you cannot express to others truthful, honest, fact-checked information because you've started with, you know, uh, entirely false premises like Forever Conscious Research Channel did. And then, you know, I would present, you know, this is going to be a hasty generalization fallacy. I'm going to call myself out. But right (laughs) away, I would be reluctant to believe anything that that person had on their channel because they couldn't even verify those quotes before they repeated them. And even lazier still on this person we did a number of shows already exposing those lies. 
So here they are in the chat regurgitating them anyway, when over the last year we've constantly exposed how those quotes were false. So, you know, it makes me question the cognitive capacity of this person to say anything truthful. Now, obviously, that's a hasty generalization fallacy. If I went up to whomever this person is behind Forever Conscious Research Channel and I asked him, you know, where's the restroom? He should be able to tell me where the restroom is. I, You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything out of his mouth is false, you know, but we obviously can't trust anything he says regarding the Talmud and he's caught up in the you know, ma- everything is majus, right? So, yeah. go ahead. Now, yeah. now, rather than using the trivium on me here, let's uh, just get back to the topic. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say something about that, though. There's, um, I, I made a video called How the Elite Became Our Gods. And what's up is that when you know the truth and, you know, whatever that truth might be, and then you you make a lie, and then people believe that lie. So there's a false what, there's false knowledge, false grammar, and uh, what what ends up happening is you are now like a layer above them, and they are now a layer below you, and they it's like a a matrix. I call it a matrix bubble or a, a, a lie bubble. That's that's the bane of my existence, Nathan. <laughs> so like for example, blaming you know Zionism and the Jews for everything uh, that's wrong in the world creates a, a a bubble for a certain segment of society that they're going to stay trapped in and the people who perpetuate that lie uh that are above that bubble that you know to keep that that know the truth they're literally gods compared to those trapped within that lie and now you can steer them any which direction you want by uh manipulating that lie and inserting new information into that lie like an algorithm and you can you can just move people from here to there because they haven't actually uh, transcended the lie through understanding and knowing the truth. And for them to be able to do that, see, here's the thing. And when you're using the trivium, you don't just want to believe what Nathan and Jan say. What you should actually do is, okay, well, Jan says all these quotes but one are lies. You know, he who desires none of his vows, blah, blah, blah. You know, you, you can go through, and in this I've compared Islam to most of these. But uh, what you should do is go out and find this stuff yourself. Now, what the neo-Nazis and the GDL and the KKK and the Islamists say is, well, there's a secret hidden Talmud. Okay, well, the onus of proof, which is the evidence of the argument then falls on you to show us that secret hidden Talmud. And if you can't present it to us, then you fail the onus of proof, and then it becomes arguing the arbitrary, and your argument is dismissed by default. I don't even have to entertain it. If you cannot support your own uh, evidence for your arguments, and this this knucklehead is, is still going on. Uh, all of the roads lead to Rome and Switzerland. Jews are the fall guy. Uh, then why did he say Talmud, blah, 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 money earlier, etc.? I'm not even going to show his comments. But if you cannot substantiate your own arguments with evidence, with primary citations, 
then it's called arguing the arbitrary, and I can just dismiss it. I don't even have to entertain it. What I can do is I can, you know, wad it up in the ball and throw it in the back of my brain and say, well, you know, maybe, and if any evidence ever comes along, right. I can pull that back up and say, okay, you know, we can, we can look at this again and see where it fits in. But a lot of people will yet still confuse fourth-hand, third-hand, secondary citations with primary. They don't know the difference. Well, this ad varicunium fallacy, this appeal to authority, says blah, blah, blah. And so they'll believe that authority. I heard it on MSNBC or I heard it on CNN, and they'll repeat that because an authority said it, a person in a white coat or whatever the case may be, they'll repeat that and not understand that they need to still go fact check that claim. What is the primary sort citation for that or source? And so what is a primary source? Now, I've had some people say, well, you know, if the Bible says it, that doesn't mean it's true. Huh, I could be quoting Dr. Seuss and, you know, uh, that doesn't mean it's true. Well, if I open a Dr. Seuss book and on page, you know, 23, it says green eggs and ham, <laughs> I know that on page 23, for a fact, it says green eggs and ham, right? So I have verified that citation. If you claim... Dr. Seuss says on page 23, he's talking about green eggs and ham. If I go there and it says, you know, green eggs and ham, then I've verified that citation. It doesn't mean if green eggs and ham are real, and actually you can find green eggs. The people, you know, uh, like in Peru and stuff, there are actual green eggs and brown eggs and white eggs. And, you know, you can get goose eggs and duck eggs and all these different kinds of eggs. But um, it's verifying a primary citation, whether it's true or false, you go to that page and you verify what was said. Now, if the claim is false, you can also, using the trivium, show that the claim is false through the primary citation. Did such and such person make this false statement? So you go all the way down to the original source and you verify if that statement was actually said. And so you can prove it's true, you know, okay, is it true that this person lied there? Or did they tell the truth there? And so it's all the process of verifying that primary citation. And then a secondary citation is someone talking about the primary citation. A third-hand citation would be a third party discussing the second party, discussing the primary citation. And a fourth-hand person would be your average next-door neighbor or housewife who spreads rumors. You know, she's talking about this person who talked about this, the, you know, the third, the, the third person citation who was talking about the second-hand citation who was talking about the primary citation. So to verify it, you have to go through all of the steps all the way down. And once you remove any contradictions, again, there are no contradictions in nature. A contradiction is always a liar and error. Once you get down to the primary and there are no more contradictions, you have arrived at the truth. Logos. Let's uh, actually, 
I'm going to share something here. This is my formula for truth. So the formula for truth is quite simple. It goes knowledge or information plus understanding logic minus contradictions equals wisdom or the truth. Conversely, the formula for a lie, there's actually a formula for the lie, impartial, distorted, or hidden knowledge, knowledge that's been purposely concealed, like at a crime scene, you know, they, they hide motives, they might hide the evidence, Contradi plus contradictions, minus understanding, so there's going to be some logical fallacies there, and that is folly, and the opposite of wisdom is folly, and that is a lie. I've been using this as a uh, formula for just, you know, working through things and trying to find, um, work through contradictions. Uh, actually, that's something that processing, when you're processing something, um, you're trying to process what just happened, you're working through something, that is actually a great way to work through contradictions, dialectic. You know, two or more parties coming together and and arguing for the sake of progressing the idea and arguing for the sake of removing contradictions. So you're not arguing to defeat the other person. You're arguing to remove the contradictions. The, the enemy is contradictions, not each other. Correct. And most people won't work to that end. They will have an agenda rather than the goal being to remove contradictions to discover the truth. You know, so they'll adhere to whatever agenda, you know, I learned X, Y, Z in school. My teacher couldn't have lied to me. And they're going to repeat this second or third hand source being, you know, this ad vericundiam or appeal to authority person teacher rather than focusing on the truth and just removing those contradictions all the way down. So go ahead. If you're argumentative, if you have like an argumentative attitude that's actually you're arguing from a conclusion because your desire is to defeat the other person, which means you're not going to be arguing from evidence and going and progressing from evidence to logic to, to conclusion. You're, you're arguing from a conclusion because you're, you're, the conclusion is I win. The conclusion is you lose. You know, it's, that's, it's, it's really you're, you're being emotional because your, your agenda is to defeat, whether it's to feel superior or whether it's to promote some kind of agenda where you're going to get money from it or power or something like that, uh, power over others. But in any which way, that's still arguing from a conclusion. Now, if you've already done the research and you've gone through everything, let's say these primary uh, Talmud citations I showed, I showed on screen, and you've already shown them false and you already know that the person who is repeating these things are they're lying or they're spreading lies, whether they know it or not. What if you're arguing the position of, look, I've already got the facts and truth here. What do you say to that? Can you can you reword the question or clarify the question? Please? Okay, so if you've already verified the truth of something, and I was just using the Talmud citations, you know, ninety eight point four percent being false, and you've already you you already know for a fact that the, the what the person is saying is false and you are engaged in that person and try and technically technically speaking any statement that ends in a period is an argument 
and you're arguing with that person that, look, your information is false. How do you restate what you just said that an argument is trying to win something or whatever when, you okay, know? I, yes, I, what I do is I can tell when somebody actually wants to collaborate versus argue. Okay. So argumentativeness isn't logic. It's, it's emotion. And so there's, you know, if I'm trying to collaborate, which is let's work together to remove contradictions. And this other person is, is saying, I'm going to defeat you because he's coming in argumentative. He's probably making a statement. If I see something that's uh, possibly false, or I, I know I have evidence, I'm going to start asking them questions like in a Socratic manner to kind of poke holes in it, or also just to help them come to the light, help them see the light, the way that Socrates might ask questions to, you know, to challenge their underlying assumptions, to challenge their, um, their premises, to challenge their, either their logic or their grammar. Now um, I'm going to ask questions to, in a way that is fair-minded and so that they have a chance to defend it. But if, if I'm just going in and blasting them or they're coming in and blasting me, I know it's more of an argumentative thing and not necessarily a, uh, a discussion. Now, through my experience of doing the show for 12 years, there is a point, you know, people come in and blast you. You're wrong. I was high on psychedelics and I saw God or whatever. And yeah. they, they think that that is logos rather than, you know, not being high or this Talmud stuff or whatever. What I generally find is that there is a exchange rate. Usually you, you can have... 15 to 25 of these Socratic method exchanges, asking mm -hmm. questions, providing true information. And by typically 25 exchanges, if the person doesn't begin to question their conclusions, then they have a nefarious agenda behind what they're saying. Yeah. So, I mean, or nefarious as in either self-deceived because it's just about usually you know, at that at more than 25 and sometimes I'll test it and, you know, take it out to 50, 75, a hundred just to see if they ever break. But if they go, if you get to 50 or a hundred exchanges, they're a paid troll and they're there to intentionally spread lies. Right. Yeah. I've, I've dealt with paid trolls before. Definitely. I I've, you know, had far more than my fair share, unfortunately, you know, they're, they're, they're typically skilled. The ones that I've run into are pretty skilled. They're skilled manipulators. They're not just, uh, you know, I'll call them out on their logic and I'll, you know, I'll ask them questions about, are you really wanting to have an exchange or are you just here to insult me? Are you really wanting to have an exchange? Or are you just here to, uh, to, to dominate with me with your opinion? Well, and I get it down pretty fast that way. Well, and what they're interested in doing is they're they're only interested in influencing the people reading the discussion. Hmm. They're not interested in an actual discussion. So, you know, what they're trying to do is anybody who may be reading the exchange, they want to twist it and distort it to make you look somehow wrong or whatever and them correct. You know, right. so they have no interest in a in a proper honest exchange. So, then they're going to use appeal to ridicule, which is the horse laugh. You're wrong because ha, ha, ha. You know, so going into uh, some of these, like the appeal to ridicule fallacy. Let me pull this over here. The appeal to ridicule fallacy 
is super simple. And this is one of the most common uh, fallacies that you see online. And everybody experiences it probably every day. But uh, it's basically you're wrong because ha, ha, ha. The appeal to ridicule fallacy is a fallacy in which ridicule or mockery is substituted for evidence of an argument. This line of reasoning, air quotes, has the following form, X, which, which is some form of ridicule is presented, typically directed at the claim, therefore claims he is false. This sort of reasoning is fallacious because mocking a claim does not show the claim is false. This is especially clear in the following example. One plus one is two. That is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. So they'll sit there and they'll go, <laughs> you know, and that's the the sum of their argument. You're wrong because, <laughs> right? And that you know, and so their ridicule is then substituted as evidence rather than presenting actual evidence. I, I see this also in the genetic fallacy. Well, they'll they'll start ridiculing the source rather than the information. Right. So, oh. Nathan, did you get that from Wikipedia? <laughs> Genetic fallacy? Yeah. So rather than going to the Wikipedia page, checking the citations at the bottom of that page and showing how that Wikipedia entry is wrong, they'll attack that it's just from Wikipedia, period. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. You know, so that's, <laughs> that is a genetic fallacy, you know, because what they would have to do is go into the citations that are given on Wikipedia, show how they're wrong, and then debunk your argument, but saying, oh, you got that from Wikipedia. I see, you know. So, and, you know, the assumption that the fake news or, you know, mainstream news like CNN and MSNBC, these fake news outlet, we all know that 90, I'm just throwing out a random number, by the way, I'm making this number up. Let's say, <laughs> to, be, to, to be clear, let's say 90% of everything MSNBC or CNN says is false. And we know that the vast majority of of what they say is false, but that doesn't mean that everything that they say is false. Right. You know, so you could have someone who lies 95% of the time, but they tell the truth 5% of the time. And it, it may be that 5% information that you get that could change everything you think, you know, or that could change the whole, you know, equation or, or what you're trying to figure out just by getting that little snippet. So, Sometimes reading or studying a source that you know is false will get you the information or the source material or the direction that you need to go to find the truth. This is actually, I would like to say, this is why I actually study some of QAnon, uh, QAnon stuff. Not because I necessarily believe it, but because there's some interesting information there that could prove useful later down the road. Um, I'm not saying it's true. I'm not saying it's false. Uh, I'm saying that it's it's something that I, I hold in my awareness in the back of my mind uh, because sometimes they give away dates, sometimes they give away certain uh, concepts and ideas, um, and it could very well be a PSYOP. I'm fully aware of that, but that doesn't mean because it's a PSYOP, I shouldn't actually see what they're saying. Correct. So another example is all of these books behind me over here that, like I said, it's like 25, 26 shelf feet of books on psychedelics. The whole thing is MKUltra. I have those books. You know, I got into it originally thinking that the, it was true, but I have them still today because that is the literature 
from the CIA's MKUltra program. And I use that research not because I think it's true, but because I know it's full of crap and I can go in, fact check them down to the primary citations and show how they're false. Right. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you'll see a lead, you know, like, let's say Jay Stevens' book over there, Storming Heaven, and he's talking about Leary's congressional testimony and he cites one little snippet and, you know, oh, Leary went in and, you know, with Allen Ginsberg and these guys and, and uh, oh, uh, Walter Boert, and they all went in to uh, Congress and they gave their testimony. And, they, and then I would see another book give a tiny little snippet of what Leary said. So I'm like, well, you know, are they telling the truth? So then what I did is I went to University of Riverside and I pulled up the entire conversation. And, and this isn't even all of it here. I do have all of it. But, you know, Leary goes before Congress and, and you know, they're, they're saying Leary fought against the, the uh, government outlying drugs. Well, is that true? Or is that just something being regurgitated in every, in every CIA-controlled MKUltra book out there? And it's, it's something that the CIA put out itself. So when I went into the actual congressional testimony, which people can find here, Leary and the Narcotic Re uh, Rehabilitation Act of 1966, hearings before the Special Subcommittee 88th or 89th Congress, second session. And then I give the page numbers here. So you can go to these this, this book and these page numbers. And you can find this exact citation. So you know that I'm telling the truth. But none of the sources, not one of them, provided the actual citation. So Senator Dodd, do you think that the drug needs to be put under control and restriction? Leary, pardon, sir. Senator Dodd, let me rephrase my question. Don't you feel that LSD should be put under some control or restriction as to its use? Dr. Leary, yes, sir. Senator Dodd, as to its sale, possession, and use? Dr. Leary, I definitely do. In the first place, I, th I think that the 1965 Drug Control Act, which this committee, I understand, sponsored, is the high watermark of such legislation. Dr. Leary, uh, continuing on, yes, sir, I agree completely with your bill. The 1965 Drug Control Act, I think, is, Senator Dodd, that the federal government and the state governments ought to control. Ought to, I am in 100% agreement with the 1965 Drug Control Bill. Senator Kennedy of Massachusetts. So there shouldn't be, Dr. Leary cutting him off, I wish the states, I might add, would follow with the wisdom of this committee, committee and the Senate and Congress of the United States and follow your lead exactly with that kind of legislation. Senator Kennedy of Massachusetts. So there should not be indiscriminate uh, distribution of this drug, should there? Dr. Leary, of course, lying. I have never suggested that, sir. I have never urged anyone to take LSD. I have always deplored the indiscriminate and unprepared use, which, of course, is complete nonsense. But so most people will say, well, you know, 
if the government, you know, and the CIA wanted, you know, where if they were against the drugs, how come the drugs are illegal? Mm-hmm. And that's the sum total of their, you know, as you gave the levels of the argument, you're far above their understanding. So once you grasp that Leary went to Congress and requested LSD's outlaw, then you have to begin to ask a whole new series of questions. Well, why would Leary, involved with MKUltra, wanting to promote pedomorphosis and drugs to the youth to mind control them, why would he want LSD's, LSD to be outlawed? And then you have to realize, wait a second, kids don't do psychotomimetics or schizophrenogens as recreational drugs. But if I outlaw them and then pretend with the help of Dr. Andrew Weil that I was fired from Harvard to suppress my spiritual message when I am actually a part of the Harvard social relations team working on MKUltra, then I would realize, wait a second, Leary went before Congress to outlaw the drugs to increase their popularity with the youth in the, in the counterculture. And then you have a whole new understanding of the entire situation. So rather yeah, than saying, so rather than saying, well, you know, if the government wanted, you know, to mind control people with psychedelic mushrooms and LSD, why would the drugs be outlawed? Well, because, dum dum. By outlawing them, it made them more popular with the youth in the counterculture and the underground movements. You know, and then uh, they renamed them, which I did that paper, Enthugens, What's in a Name? They renamed them from schizophrenogen and psychotomimetic, uh, which meant to mimic psychosis or to generate schizophrenia. They renamed them to psychedelic, which means to manifest the mind. And then uh, Professor Carl Ruck at Boston University, working with Gordon Wasson under MKUltra Subproject 58, he creates the term entheogen. So that it sounds like, you know, to manifest God within. <laughs> you know, so then, you know, oh, but, you know, the drugs are outlawed. And then you have, you know, uh, uh, what's his name of the multi multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies going out and you know he you know leads the fight first he has you know mdma outlawed and then he starts up the multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies to fight for mda's legalization it's the exact same tactic as leary get the drug outlawed and then fight for its legalization and pretend that your spiritual message is being suppressed uh, Rick Doblin, that's who it is. Rick Doblin used the exact same tactics that Leary did, you know. So anyway, that's kind of a, you know, long explanation. But I wanted to get in there so people can realize that once you understand the primary citations, it forces your brain to ask whole new questions. Because if they get you asking the wrong questions, they don't have to worry about the answers. And again, working at the primary citations, that's the general grammar category. Correct. Say that again. Sorry, I looked away at the chat. Of, of the of the trivium, general. Uh, that's the general grammar. That is the general right. It, well said. Edition. So that is the who, what, where, and when of the general grammar. That's your knowledge phase. You're gathering all of the information that you need to know. All primary research. You're you're going to the library. You're fact checking the congressional record. 
You're not going with what the CIA numbskulls say. And then once you have that, that original primary citation, then it gives you a whole new understanding, which is the mm -hmm. next level of the trivium. And then you can begin to understand why something happened the way it, it did. And then your, your explanation is the, or your rhetoric, the how, is what I just gave and how they did it, you know, through the who, what, where, when, why, and how. And so you have a whole new level of understanding of how these things work, you know. So you have the Harvard Social Relations Department with Leary and, and, um, uh, Dr. Andrew Weil and the Harvard Crimson and all of these people involved in MKUltra promoting this agenda to make it look like Leary was fired from Harvard, suppressing his and uh, Dick Ramdass's uh, uh, spiritual message. And then, uh, you know, then they fight for its legalization. But that's not really what happened. Once you get it, why was Leary working at the Harvard Social Relations Department? Why was the department working in MKUltra? Why did Leary become the poster boy for this whole movement? And then go to Congress and request that the drugs be outlawed before this whole, you know, shenanigans began. This is an, extra, uh, an excellent, um, you're pointing out a contradiction, which is really good how on one side he's, you know, fighting for, you know, making this illegal on the other side, he's fighting to make it legal. Correct. And that's a contradiction. Which now is you have always to, you a liar and error. So then you have to remap your thinking to get to the understanding. And as soon as you don't have any more uh, contradictions in your understanding, when you have that epiphany or that aha, then you know that you've arrived at the truth. So right. then we can say with certainty unless somebody has other information that they can present that proves my theory and my reasoning wrong, that Leary went to Congress, requested the drugs outlaw, then promoted the drugs to the kids and youth and said, hey, look at that you know, terrible government outlawing these drugs. They're trying to keep them from you so that you don't have this spiritual experience that we created, right? right. When it's all based on hyper-suggestion. You know, the, the drugs like the, uh, and this the is ex this is exactly sorry. And this is exactly why I renamed the drugs suggestogens back in 2014 is because they cause hyper suggestion. And if you've you know, people will say, well, if nobody's around me, if I'm taking them in my closet, I can't be impacted by that. Well, that's, again, a false premise and not having the knowledge to understand how they work as suggestogens. And then you explain a false reasoning how you came to that conclusion. But if you've ever even heard a Beatles song in your life, you've already been imprinted with the program that these are spiritual drugs. Or if you've ever heard the word psychedelic, well, to manifest the mind or entheogen to generate God within, you've already been programmed with yeah. that false agenda. You just actually uh, showed the pattern of the... Uh, eating or the garden of Eden and the serpent tempting Eve, you know, you don't want this, this is, or this God says you can't have it, but maybe, you know, you should have it. And so it's, it's like, well, kinda... <laughs> it's, it's hilarious that you say that because uh, Gordon Wasson and Aldous Huxley both use the garden of Eden 
situation as the foundation for their whole argument. So Wasson, and I expose that in uh, this article in Thugin's What's in a Name, but Wasson goes through this whole thing where he's in the forest and and uh, finds the the mushrooms and uh, you know and then but it's it's basically once you understand it, he's literally using the the Genesis three story. I was it was on a sorry it was a walk in the woods many years ago that launched my wife and me on our quest of the mysterious mushroom. We were married in London in 1926, she being Russian, born and brought up in Moscow. She had lately qualified as a physician at the University of London. I am from Great Falls, blah, 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 all this irrelevant stuff. In the (laughs) afternoon of the first day, we went strolling along the lovely mountain path through the woods, crisscrossed by the slanting rays of the descending sun. We were young, carefree, and in love. So, you know, he's setting up the whole Adam and Eve story here. Suddenly, my bride abandoned my side. Oh, sounds like Eve running away. She had spied a mushroom in the forest and racing over the carpet of dried leaves in the woods. She knelt in uh, poses of adoration. Oh, and oh, my my pachurke. Oh, oh. Uh, before the first uh, before first one cluster and then the other of these growths in ecstasy. She called each kind by an endearing Russian name. Oh, moi pechorke. Oh. She <laughs> caressed the toadstools, savored their earthly perfume. Like all good Anglo-Saxons, I knew nothing, so now he's Adam, about the fungal world, and I felt and, and, and felt that the less I knew about these putrid, treacherous excrescences, the better. For her, they were things of grace infinitely inviting to the perceptive mind. She insisted on gathering them, laughing at my protests, mocking my horror. Okay, well, let's go back to the beginning of the whole story. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast in the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yeah, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of... or have." uh, Ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, huh, isn't that just like she was giving each one an enduring name and poses of adoration? And the tree, and, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with, uh, with her that he did eat. Huh. And here it is right down here. It's the same story. It's just rewritten. But, you know, if Wasson had said, you know, and then suddenly my wife, you know, almost stepped on a serpent, it would have given everything away. Right. Right. So, well, it's, it's making it's using the psychology of the forbidden fruit to get people to want it. Correct. You know, so that's exactly what Wasson did. And then you have, uh, uh, you have, here it is, you have uh, Huxley and Leary doing the same exact same, uh, oh man, I just had it and it just, uh, the the page just ran crazy. So, uh, 
These, so this is a conversation between Leary and Aldous Huxley. Of course, I've exposed for years that Aldous Huxley was the, one of the key architects of the MKUltra program. These are evolutionary matters. They cannot be rushed. And this is Huxley talking to Leary. Work privately. Initiate artists, writers, poets, jazz musicians, elegant courtesans, painters, rich bohemians, and they'll initiate the intelligent rich. Okay, he, he wants to initiate the rich people. Huh. That's how everything of culture and beauty and philosophic freedom has been passed on. Really? That's a totally, that's a, that's a, what is that? That's a formal fallacy. Anyway, let me, I'll, I'll show you here and I'll cover my ugly mug while I'm talking here. <clears throat> Your role is quite simple. Become a cheerleader for the evolution. That's what I did in my grandfather before me. And he's speaking of Thomas Henry Huxley, who is Darwin's propaganda manager. These brain drugs, mass-produced in the laboratories, will bring about vast changes in society. Yeah, it's called the fall. This will happen with or without you or me. All we can do is spread the word. The obstacle to this evolution, Timothy, is the Bible. I don't remember any discussion of brain-changing, uh, brain-change drugs in the Bible, Leary says. Timothy... Have you forgotten the very first chapters of Genesis? Jehovah says to Adam and Eve, I've built you this wonderful resort eastward of Eden. You can have anything you want except you are forbidden to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge. The first controlled substances. Exactly. The Bible begins with food and drug prohibitions. So the fall and original sin were caused by the taking of illegal drugs. Look around you folks. It's all around. By this time, Aldous was chuckling away, very pleased with himself, and I was rolling on the floor with laughter. <laughs> so the first controlled substance is exactly the Bible begins with food and drug prohibitions. So the fall and original sin were caused by the taking of illegal drugs. Now, when you think about all the hippies at Woodstock fornicating to their graven images, I, sorry, I mean the rock idols, uh, then and and you you fast forward from you know the summer of love Leary going to con uh, before Congress having the drugs outlawed Woodstock the following summer the summer of love in 1966 um, and it was what six six 1966 when they did all of this stuff then you can see the whole progression of how they were promoting this to literally create the fall and then you can just go around and you look at the people with the huge, you know, with the pig and and bull rings in their noses and the huge things and tattoos everywhere, de uh, desecrating the temple and, you know, all of this stuff, you can see the progression of the social engineering all the way through. So anyway, that was a long rambling rant there. Now it's back to you, man. I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I will actually get to something here. Let me uh, let me share the screen. Somebody well, wants I, to. I had a few somebody is asking if someone was named Dick Ramdas, and yes, his name is Dick Ramdas or Dick Alpert. He went by Dick Ramdas or Ramdas. He he made he spun he spun it to sound spiritual, but he was a, a flaming you know, homosexual, so it's Dick Ramdass. It's just he 
He turned it into a spiritual sounding name, but it was a inside joke. <laughs> um, I would like to discuss a different type of uh, in or informal fallacy where you actually manipulate language. Okay. And I will share the screen here. Okay. So there's a reason for the subtle perversion of our language, and that's been occurring. And uh, Philip K. Dick actually touched on this. The basic tool for the manipulation of reality is the manipulation of words. If you can control the meaning of words, you can control the people who must use them. And there's another one. I mean, where George Orwell said, said this, the English language becomes ugly and inaccurate because our thoughts are foolish. But the slovenness of our language makes it easier for us to have foolish thoughts. If thought corrupts language, language can also corrupt thought. Uh, and that's from George Orwell and basically describing Newspeak, um, which was a concept in one of his books, 1984. Now, with this, this concept of manipulating language, uh, what you're doing is you're like, for example, fascist. Fascist is like a, a certain type of economic principle. Um, and it's actually, you know more about what fascism is than I do, but, uh, it, it's definitely not what it is in the dictionary. Now in the dictionary, Correct. it's like a right leaning bigot. It's, it's not that it's not a right leaning bigot. Um, and somebody who is intolerant and that kind well, of, well, and they were, the, you know, so, and the, and fascists have somehow been, and it, I actually have this video up on screen here, so I will show this. Um, so, so Hitler's socialism, destroying the denialist counter arguments. If you watch this video or download the the transcript, uh, which I have posted on my Facebook page, I can pull it up again. But this gives a whole breakdown of what fascism and national socialism and communism are. But the Italians were the fascists. Right. The Nazis were the National Socialists, and they, you know, all of them were leftists. But it's all been spun into right wing, you know. It's been they've they've used blame casting to blame the Christian right for it, rather right. than understanding that <clears throat> that the Nazi Party was created by the Thule Society, which was created by Baron von Sabotendorf, who was a Muslim. Left hand path, by the way. Huh? Left hand path. Left who was a Muslim and that the Islamists and the Nazis have been working together since the beginning, you know, so they, they have the exact same agenda. So uh, that's just an example of how we, how they use words to manipulate our language. And if they can manipulate our language, then like, okay, for example, another one, tolerant, we need to be tolerant. Well, another word for tolerant is suffering. And suffering is actually the, the, the word, and if you look at Black's Law, is the word for consent, implied consent. So what they're asking for when they want you to tolerate something is consent. They want you to suffer through something. They're asking you to suffer. If you suffer through something, you're consenting to it. And when you stop consenting, you stop suffering. Suffering is 100% consent. And it is only happens through consent. And you stop suffering. Now you can still feel pain, but you'll stop suffering when you end your consent. I'm going to give you a couple other examples here, <clears throat> or at least one more. So let's look at diversity. We're constantly told that diversity is a good thing. Oh, we have to be more diverse, 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 diverse. All right, well, here's the Oxford English Dictionary. 
Here's diverse, a condition or quality of being diverse, different or varied, differences, unlikeness. And then uh, an instance of this condition or quality, a point of unlikeness, a difference, distinction, a different kind of variety. Diverse manners of sorts of variety, okay? Contrary to what is agreeable, good, right. Perversity, evil, mischief. Okay, so diversity is perversity, evil, mischief. So if you're allowing tens of thousands of Islamists into your country who believe that they have to murder all kafir and and charge you, you know, you, get, you have to give them jizya, and then and they're allowed to use taki on you and constantly lie and all of this stuff. Is that diversity good? You know, is it good just to say, oh, yes, well, you know, I have to be diverse. We have to accept Islam and the Muslims. Well, Muslim, Islamists are required to murder or subjugate all non-believers. So they're going to force you to be Muslim, or they're going to kill you. So is it good to have that diversity, or is it evil? Is it perversity? Is it being done through mischief? Right? Wow. You know, and it's like the word nice that I use often. And let me pull it up. It's in the brain database. And, uh, and hold on just a second. It's almost there. So what does nice mean? Most people think it means like kind and, you know, you want to, you're my friend, you're my buddy, you're super nice. Oh my God, you're so nice. <laughs> but um, so let's look at the etymology of the word nice, folks. Is it what you think? So when you look up the grammar, when you look up the history and origins of the word, what does nice actually mean? And so when we look it up, Nice is actually an insult. And the foolish and stupid people that it was the insult toward were foolish and stupid enough to think it was a compliment. From Old French, foolish, stupid, senseless, careless, clumsy, weak, poor, needy, simple, stupid, silly, foolish. From Latin, necius, ignorant, unaware, literally not wow. knowing. Wow. So... You know, when I call someone nice, I'm not saying they're kindly. I'm calling them nice, you know. And so in the in the, the way that the word is meant, but, you know, and it also means dainty, delicate, like a dandy, you know. So once you understand what the word really means, it has a whole new... You know, there's a whole other level to the understanding of it. And why was that done? I, I have I have one, too, I'd like to share. Sure. And it has to do with uh, third and fourth wave feminists and how they are attacking the patriarchy. Absolutely. Um, patria is actually Greek for family. And archie, obviously, comes from archon and ruler. So a ruler of the family. And I found a, a John Taylor Gatto uh, where he was citing something in one of his books. Um, I didn't find the original citation, but it was like Horace Mann or somebody like that uh, said it. And he was talking about how the mother state uh, was a patriarch. And he actually was talking about how the mother, you know, being the nurturer and stuff like that. And she's a patriarch. So a, a, a woman or a man can be a patriarch. But the way that feminists use it is they're attacking men. And Correct. What, when they're like down with the patriarchy, 
what are they really saying? Are they saying down with men or are they saying down with a family? Well, it's all an attack on family. And so let's let's go back to the database here. And, uh, you know, a lot of people in the audience have seen this one before, but let's pull up one of the primary feminists, uh, former Playboy Bunny herself, who sought to destroy family, right? And so this is Gloria Steinem. And uh, so quoting the former head of the CIA, DCI William Colby, I might quote Miss Gloria Steinem, one of those so assisted who commented that the CIA wanted to do what we wanted to do, present a healthy, diverse view of the United States. I never felt I was being dictated to at all. So again, we're back at the CIA's attack on family, creating the fall, et cetera. You know, and they're all Fabian socialists. You know, it's, see, the stronger the family is and extended family, et cetera, the less reliant upon government you are. Right. So if you're a single mother getting food stamps and, you know, supplemental income from the government, you're going to say, yes, yes, more Joe Biden, more Bernie B.S. Sanders, more of this kind of crap. If you have strong family, extended family, et cetera, you're not going to even care about that. It's not even going to be in your your vision. A government can come and go, you know, rise and fall, and your family is is there, it's not even going to care. But Aldous Huxley and all of these MKUltra people were, you know, George Orwell, Eric Blair was, his real name was Eric Blair, was another Fabian socialist. And so they're going to promote all of these socialist ideas to attack the family, to break it apart. So feminism and attacking the patriarchy or the family becomes core to promoting that socialist agenda. You know. And Planned Parenthood the same way. Exactly. Right. So anything, and of course, you know, Bill Gates's father, going back to him, uh, right. is, you know, one of the people behind um, Planned Parenthood. So, you know, we can pull that up here. So uh, <clears throat> his, uh, let's see here, Gates family, William H. Gates Sr., and he was behind Planned Parenthood. So, you you know, and we can see this whole family is involved in eugenics, population control, wiping out the family. And part of that, just like with the Woodstock and fornicating to your graven images or your rock idols, etc., cetera, uh, is promoting hypersexuality. So you're not bonding with a lifetime mate. You're, at, you're out, you know, promoting... Uh, polyamory and having, you know, uh, you know, as many random lovers as you can and, you know, going to rave parties or Burning Man and it's all about free sex and free love and all of this stuff. And then what they do is they have you dedicate your whole year to building this thing that you take out to the desert for a week and then you burn it, right? So all of that energy is being burned up into the air rather than going toward your family and your right. future. So all of that is intentional destruction of the family. And once you see that the family is the primary target of MKUltra, of the 60s counterculture of the rock music, sex, drugs, rock and roll, um, you know, the tattoos and the bull and pig noses and, you know, rings in the nose, all of this stuff, it's to degrade the family. And what does the Bible promote on the other side? It promotes how to build a strong society and strong family. 
So it's it's the exact opposite. And then, of course, most people believe, having not read the Bible, or especially the New Testament themselves, they think, oh, well, the Bible suppresses women, does it? Well, what the Bible actually says, what the New Testament actually says is, the man owns the, the body of the woman. And then the next line says, and the woman owns the body of the man. <laughs> you know, so it's like, oh, so they own each other. Oh, I got it, you know. But there is so much propaganda put out there by the socialists and the Satanists and those who want to promote this agenda to attack the family that people believe it unquestioningly without going to the primary citations to fact check it, which means reading 410 pages of the New Testament. This is, by the way, why I, uh, I take a lot of the trivium stuff and I, I take it down to the micro, the microcosm, because the family is the microcosm. The individual is the microcosm, and then the family is the microcosm. And using the trivium within the family to do dialectics, because, you know, it's like, you know, the husband and the wife arguing to come to a synthesis, to remove the contradictions, to come to higher knowledge together, to come to wisdom together. Um, this is very important to be able to learn how to use the trivium and to, to go through conflict resolution. So you're not just arguing to win or arguing to manipulate or trying to uh, dominate your partner, either, you know, the, the feminine way of dominating or the masculine way of dominating. Um, you're, you're doing it so that you can you can grow the family. And the more that you are able to synthesize information and um, synthesize, how do I say this? The different viewpoints that come from being in a family. Um, and you can actually create depth and breadth together as a family. And that creates roots. And those roots go deep down into the ground so that you can actually have a really, you know, a really nice tree that flourishes as a family. A family tree that flourishes. You mean the tree of life? Yes. <laughs> and the bad branches of the tree of life that can't give good fruit are cut and thrown into the fire. So guess what, folks? All of the liberals who don't have a family and who don't figure this stuff out, their branches cut and thrown into the fire, and those that lineage, that branch of the tree of life or family tree is ended. It's, that's it. It's pruned, you know, literally. So but also the good news is, is that people can be grafted onto that truth. They can. Hey, that family. So uh, uh, Ting Ting Shiny says, ownership agenda, going back to the man owns the woman and the woman own, owns the man, you know, to me, there's nothing hotter when a woman says, this is my man, or, you know, and vice versa, this is my woman, you know. And, but the feminists want to attack that. Oh, well, you know, it's, that's about ownership and all of this stuff. So they try to spin it out of context so that you, you know, go well, ahead. If, if you work in the field and you, uh, you create fruit, you are entitled to that fruit because you worked it. And now if you've worked a relationship with somebody for a certain amount of time, you are actually creating fruit in that relationship, and that is yours. You that is your property. And if somebody comes in and tries to steal that fruit from you, that's theft. Right. Well, now there's no fault divorce. So anyway. So you but you you work on that relationship, and that relationship is your property. Correct. Because you, you have you have toiled in the field of that relationship 
And what you put your labor into, what you put your energy into is your property. And the fruit of your loins as well from yes. that relationship until they are deemed old enough to leave the family or be a part of the extended family or how have it, preferably extended families, to, uh, you know, to then bind with their own wife and start their own families and do the process all over again. So this is how it goes on generation after generation throughout time, you know, and biblically speaking back to Adam and Eve. And then you have the lesbians or the feminists who are the daughters of Lilith or no daughters of Sophia. And then you have the Satanists who are the children of Lilith. Right. So there you go. So, you know, I, I'm sure we missed a whole bunch of stuff on the trivium, but we did go through who, what, where, when, why, and how, and gathering information, checking primary citations. We didn't like, you know, do you want to uh, cover any logical fallacies or any of that stuff? Probably not a good idea tonight. <laughs> we're, at, we're at how long now? <laughs> Almost an hour and a half. Right. But, so we could do a part two where we get more into the logic side, the the formal fallacies. Or the yeah formal fa fallacies. In, we in, were that would be informal. informal fallacies. Unless you want to do formal fallacies, you want to do written or or spoken. Uh, the lot the, the actual logic, not the grammar fallacies, but the logic fallacies. All right, yeah. So we could definitely do that, and uh, we can figure out when to do that. But I also recommend people go to, you know, the Trivium website. And use the Trivium when you're going through the Trivium website. Take in all the grammar, study it to understand, to get all your knowledge and to understand it, and then to begin to express it or explain it to others through how. So up here we have study materials. You know, I recommend going through all of this stuff. Last week we covered the Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, here's John Taylor Gatto that Nathan just mentioned. We've got, you know, all these different sources up here. I used to have a list of books here to Amazon, but unfortunately they changed how that worked and it's not there anymore. But there's tons of audio up on the website. Um, I would recommend going through all of the audio down here and just, you know, just take it all in and begin to understand how the trivium works. And then there's also the quadrivium, which is arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy, always in that order. And again, the trivium is grammar, logic, and rhetoric, always in that order, or who, what, where, when, why, and how. If someone is trying to get you to understand why something is before asking who, what, where, and when, they're probably lying to you. Or if they're trying to explain how something is without the who, what, where, when, and why, they're probably lying to you. So uh, I would also add that a lot of people jump from the what, the what, where, when, and who, and they go past the why to the how. Yeah. And then the pre-trans fallacy where they're jumping, you know, from, from the pre-state to the trans state without going through and building the bridge. Right. So you have to take in that knowledge that who, what, where, and when before you can understand, understand why, and then explain how. So literally who, what, where, when, why, and how. So general grammar answers the question of who, what, where, and when of a subject. Discovering and ordering the facts of reality comprises basic systematic knowledge. 
Formal logic answers the why of a subject, developing the faculty of reason and establishing valid or i.e. non-contradictory relationships among facts is systematic understanding. Again, you cannot, you know, logic is the art of non-contradictory identification. So whenever you see a contradiction, instead of throwing your arms up in the air and saying opinions are like whatever, I can't, I can't know the truth, all that means is that you have to dig further down into the information until there are no more contradictions. So don't give up, dig further. And then uh, classical rhetoric provides the how of a subject, applying the knowledge, the knowledge, who, what, where, and when, and understanding the why, expressively comprises wisdom, or in other words, it is systematic usable knowledge and understanding. So this is how all knowledge in the universe begins. You know, that's where we, that's the starting point for everything that we can ever try to know. And if, you know, somebody is using fallacies, in fact, I'll just pull it up here. Uh, on the Trivium website page, if you go to some logical fallacies, on the bottom of the Trivium link, you can see a bunch of the fallacies here. And, you know, just begin to memorize the basic ones. And you can also, you know, buy Trivium bookmarks from me and I'll ship them straight to you. And that way you can keep them in your books. You can fold one up, keep it in your wallet or whatever. It also helps support the show and supports keeping the uh, Trivium website up, which has been running for a decade for pretty much free. And we keep all this information out for everybody to gather you know to learn how to think critically but you know go through all of these and if you can memorize at least the basic 20 logical fallacies or so you'll be protected from most you know predatory uh crap coming into your mind so the trivium is like mental jujitsu just like there's physical defense physical self-defense there's mental self-defense. So the trivium is your your mental self-defense. And using it properly and fact-checking things and understanding what logical fallacies are and going down to the primary citations and all this stuff, this protects you and your family from psychic vampires, from people who want to mislead you, do ill will to you, sell you bad products, uh, mind control the whole society through fear campaigns and virus scares and whatnot and get you to do, uh, you know, runs on grocery stores to buy, you know, enough toilet paper to last you until, you know, the next century or whatever. Um, you know, these are all, you know, appeal to fear. Uh, these are all tactics that you can learn and understand that these are, are people trying to manipulate you. So speaking of the appeal to fear, what is that fallacy? Appeal to fear is a fallacy with the following pattern. Why is presented a claim that it is intended to produce fear? Therefore, claim X is true. Go out and buy lots of toilet paper. A claim that is generally, that, that is generally but need not be related to Y in the same manner. This line of reasoning is fallacious because creating fear in people does not constitute evidence of a claim. So I, I would add that what the, the media is doing is they say they're saying things like do not hoard, do not hoard. 
Well, what most people actually think when they don't have discernment, they hear hoard, 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 because the, the authority is telling them don't do this. And then they're going to be kind of like, it's like reverse psychology. Now they're going to go out and everybody's going to hoard. So actually there is like a trigger word where they're not hearing the do not, and they're only hearing hoard. Well, anybody who has children knows that if you say do not do that, they hear do that. Right. You know? Exactly. So it's, uh, it, it's because when people have the intellectual and emotional capacity of children, now they're going, that's exactly what's going to happen. They're going to be given that do not, but, you know, under their breath, they're like, shh, shh, shh. you know, we're, we're just giving this command for everybody to go, you know, crazy and, and horrid because we know exactly what they're going to do. So it'd be interesting to investigate and see who in the media and the politicians, et cetera, went out and bought stock and toilet paper companies and whatnot right before all of this happened, right? Get down yeah. to the grammar, the who, the where, the what, the when, and find out, you know, what they invested in. It's like Obama doing all the gun uh, scare thing that he's going to outlaw guns, and then we find out he owns huge stocks in Smith & Wesson, right? Oh, nice. So, yeah. I uh, I would like to uh, say that if anybody is interested, I do sessions. Um, there, uh, I have session packages and things like that at my website, theunityprocess.com slash sessions. And what we're doing is I am actually using the Trivium on your own thinking. You're coming to me with a problem. You're coming to me with a, uh, a belief system. Uh, you have feeling problems. You have behavioral problems. And I'm going to be using Socratic dialogue along with a Trivium to drill down and deal with that problem. And so there's a, a verse from Romans uh, 12, 2 that comes to mind. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so what sessions can do and what learning the trivium in general can do, not just doing sessions with me, but learning to do this for yourself, is you are going to renew your mind. You yourself are going to be transformed because you renew your mind. And now you're going to be able to discern what the will of God is and with God being truth. Well said. You want to end with John 1 again, or is that passe? <laughs> yeah, sure. Go for it. All right. You want to you want to read it too? Or uh, I think I read it last time, didn't I? Or yeah, did you? I have to look it up. Let me see here. I closed my Bible software. Oh, wrong software. I just opened the uh, Oxford English Dictionary again. Oh, it all makes sense once you get Logos. I don't have it uh, handy. All right. So here it's coming up here. Let's see. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which shineth, or which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was not in the world, and the world was not, or, or, or he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. 
He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. Hold on a second. Scroll down here. Uh, which were born not of blood, nor of the f- will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, or of truth, Logos. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And he and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that, ca- that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of this fullness have all we received, and and grace for grace. For the law was given by, by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Anyway, and that is the that's the King James version. Go ahead. And thank you, Steve Mercer, for the uh, super chat. And thanks to everybody uh, who supported the show and who sent donations during the week. Uh, hugely appreciated uh, that we had a number of donations that came in this week. Somebody sent a hundred bucks, uh, twenty five, twelve. There were some other donations in there during the week too. So much appreciated. Logosmedia.com, please hit the donate button, or you can hit the uh, Patreon link in the description, or you can also send your Bitcoin donations, etc. I think Bitcoin has gone way down, so now's a good time to send it. And uh, Nathan, what do you want to add before we wrap it up here? Thanks again for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming on. People really like you on the uh, show here. You bring a lot to... uh, the Socratic method and understanding and using the trivium and you speak very calmly and peacefully. (laughs) Yeah, that helps. So anyway, folks, thank you so much. Have a great night. See you all next week. I'm not sure if you're coming on again next week, Nathan. I was also wanting to have uh, the producer of the film Sicko on, oh, sorry, San Francisco on soon. So uh, do you want to do next week or the following week? What works better for you? Either. It's totally up to you. Why don't we just finish this out and do next week, and then the following week I'll try to get uh, the the San Francisco guy on. He's also a preacher, so that'll be be interesting. He he pulls it all from a biblical perspective and shows the the whole feces in the streets and all that. Yeesh. (laughs) All right, folks. Good night. See you all next time. Thank you so much. Good night. God bless. Bye-bye.